This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching the message. Well, good morning. Welcome to you here uh, in person, and welcome to you uh, joining us online. Uh, These days are days in which we have to figure out how to gather in different ways, but even though we might be gathering in different ways, the purpose of our gathering remains the same. Hebrew writer says, uh, spur one another on to love and good deeds as a purpose of our gathering, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so I hope that that's something that you're thinking about when you're here with us, how you might give what God has given you to bless another. May it be a smile. It might be a hello. It might be a prayer. It might be uh, opening up your heart uh, to someone who may be in need or who look lonely. For those of you online, uh, we'd love to know that you are connected with us still. And so if you're a church online, uh, Arlen Howard is hosting that. Say hi to him. Say, Arlen. Uh, we love you. Say, Arlen, uh, you know, whatever you want to say to Arlen, I don't know, uh, whatever that may be. If you're on YouTube, uh, watching on YouTube, and you're able to make a comment and just uh, let us know you're here, that would be great. If not, uh, don't forget we have our online forms that you can fill in, online response, prayer needs. Many of you are accessing that, and it's a privilege for us to be able to pray with you on the multiple needs that we have uh, during these times. And so, uh, it's good, it's good to be here, and it's good to be with you. Uh, so I'm going to do a little survey here. This is primarily for the guys to see if you've ever experienced what I'm about to describe, primarily for the men. I go up to my closet. I select a shirt to wear. I think the shirt looks good. In fact, I try it on, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, I look good in this shirt. I'm full of confidence and excitement about wearing my shirt. I meander downstairs, and my wife's there, and she looks at me, and she says, you're not wearing that shirt, are you? And I say, why, what do you mean? She goes, it's wrinkled. You can't go out like that. Take it off and take it upstairs and I'll iron it for you. And instead of saying, ow, wow, honey, I'm so glad you're on my side uh, and you're on my corner, you're for me, you don't mean to go out in public looking like an idiot. Um, I'm so glad that you have decided to do that and actually being gracious enough to say, I'll take care of it for you. Instead of doing that, and this is the evaluation, see if you can relate to this, I start to argue. I'm like, what do you mean? It looks good. What do you mean? It's not wrinkled. And then I'll like stretch it like this. I'll stop. It's not wrinkled. It looks fine. I argue. Instead of appreciating that someone who's looking at me uh, and looking for my best interests doesn't want me to go out looking bad, I start to argue with her and I start to justify myself. I start to approach the way I look from a better viewpoint. Don't we all do that? We, We tend to round up significantly when it comes to evaluating ourselves sometimes. We tend to round up. We tend to see ourselves at a better place. Let me give you an example. Research. Research was done, husbands and wives. The wives were asked, how much of the housework do you do? Wives said, oh, at least 90%. Husband asked, how much housework do you do? Oh, I think about 40. <laughs> now, which is it? Because, you know, you, you know, 90, 10. 
Now, every time when they do the research, when they ask the questions, it was always some variation of those numbers, and it was always way over 100% in the numbers. Now, you might say, well, somebody's lying, and the women are probably saying it was him, but you're probably right. But I don't think the research shows doesn't mean that someone's lying. No, it's, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of how they view themselves, and we have a tendency to round up when it comes to measuring ourselves in terms of how good we are, how well we're doing, we tend to have a, a rosier view of ourselves in life. One last example. You're driving, and you're driving like a maniac. Of course, you're justified in driving like a maniac because you're late. You've got to get to the appointment. You've got to make sure that everything, you know, you've got to get to where you need to get. And so you're driving like a maniac. You're flooring it. You're zipping around in that. Flip it around. You're driving to work. Someone's driving like a maniac. They drive by you. They cut by you, and they're flying like a crazy person. What do you say? You don't say, oh, that person obviously is justified in traveling because they've got to get there quick. No, what do you say? Idiot. <laughs> Michigan driver, right? <laughs> Must be a Steelers fan. We have a tendency to always round up and want to see ourselves better than we actually are. And the truth is we do this in church as well. In communities of faith, we have a tendency to want to view ourselves better than we are. And we get sneaky about it in church because what we do is we evaluate ourselves according to measures that are not found in Scripture. Let me just say it this way. We evaluate ourselves according to measures that are not clearly communicated from God as what it looks like to be a mature, good Christian person. Okay, let's get an exercise now. For those of you online and those of you here, let's just do a moment. Ask yourself to say, okay, if I was to do a profile of what it means to be a good Christian, what would I, what would I list? Just take a moment, just do a mental exercise if you want to write down, if you want to take notes, if you want to just brainstorm. Okay, what are the things that I would say a good Christian person looks like? What does that person do? How does that person behave? What, what's the profile in your mind, right? Just right off the bat, don't try to be clever and say, Jesus, you know, Sunday school answer, just come, just say what you think a good Christian person looks like. Take a moment to do that. Think about that. Now, let me ask you this. Have you included controlling your tongue in that evaluation? And not, I'm not talking about, you know, not saying the bad words. I'm talking about the biblical control of the tongue, the biblical control of the, what the Bible talks about, control of the content of your words and the tones of your conversations. Have you included that up there with one of the characteristics of a life transformed by Christ? As a, a person who is following Jesus has learned to control their tongue, has learned to use their words in order to honor their God, whom they say they follow with all their heart. Because James, who doesn't hold, any, hold back any punches, James in his letter, which we've been working through, tells us that if you cannot control your tongue, if you cannot control the content and tone of the language you use in communicating with others, then your commitment to Christ is undermined. In fact, he'll get pretty blunt. He'll say, your religion 
is worthless, vain, empty. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and the word here, religious, means devout, committed. Uh, I know religion has a, a negative word in some of our Christian circles. We don't want to be religious. We want to have a relationship. But in this context, it's a good thing. If anyone considers himself devout, religious, committed, someone we would say is a mature Jesus follower, someone who is growing in Christ, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle, control his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. If, you're fully, if you think you are a fully committed follower of Jesus and cannot control your tongues, James says your religion, your proclaimed profession of commitment to God is worthless, useless, futile. That's the word. And so, bottom line is, is if we want to really be serious about measuring our growth, if we want to really consider ourselves, what does it look like to be a mature follower of God in Jesus? The bottom line, the hard truth is this. The measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. The measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. Not only what I say, but how I say them. James will expand on this further on in his letter, chapter, two, chapter 3, verse 2. He'll say, we all stumble in many ways. Just, just hear what he's saying. Anyone who is never at fault in what, he ha what they say is perfect. Now, the word perfect here uh, is not like without blemish. The word perfect is that fantastic Bible word called teleos, which basically means mature, whole, perfect, without flaw, right? It, it's, a, it's a bigger word than without just being a clean sheet. It's, it's, it's maturity. It's, it's the kind of thing that we are to strive for as Jesus follows Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Well, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. That's pretty straight, isn't it? Wow. I read this and I think about that little song we used to sing. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. You remember saying that? Maybe I just said it where I came from, but we said it. That's a lie. That's a lie. According to James, sticks and stones may break my bones, and the tongue will set you on fire. 
All kinds of animals, verse 7, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But this is verse 8. I want you to remember this. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What is he saying? How can we control the tongue... Yet no human being can control a tongue according to him. It's a fire that, that just blows out of, con, out of control, explodes and destroys. How can we control the tongue by our own strength when he flat out says we need to control the tongue, but no human being can control the tongue? How's that going to work? Well, praise be to God for his presence in our life because the way to control the tongue is provided by the grace of God, the presence of God, the power of God in our lives. Because bottom line is that every one of us needs help to control our tongue. And we need to learn the lessons of Scripture that tell us this. Though we might have a problem with our tongue, the issue is not our tongue. The issue goes deeper. The issue is our hearts. The issue is the source of the words that come out. This is what Jesus said, teaching his disciples about what makes a person clean. He said, it's not what goes in the mouth that makes a person clean or unclean. It's what comes out. Matthew chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus talking to his disciples, are you still so dull? <laughs> anyway, uh, asked Jesus, don't, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them? The measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. And while we might consider controlling the tongue, and while we might consider things that we might do to make sure that we keep our our, our teeth down so our tongue won't be loosed out and say stupid things. While we might say it's better to be quick to listen and slow to speak, the bottom line is that the issue we have with our tongue isn't a tongue issue per se. It's not a word issue. It's a heart issue. And if we're going to address the problem of controlling our tongue, we need to do the hard work of addressing the issues of the heart. And heart work is hard work. And heart work is the only place that we need God's help in order to heal us, in order to clean us from the inside. If we want to really seriously learn about controlling the tongue, about putting into practice this, this passage of Scripture in our lives, to realize that the measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words, and we want to be able to say, I, I am being transformed in the way I speak, then we better start asking the question, well, the issue is not coming up with all these lessons to control my tongue and say all the words that, that I think are biblical and true, because many of us in church may not cuss, but we do sure curse people regularly and slice and dice them nastily with the words and with the tone And so the issue needs to be, well, okay, how do I address the issue of the heart and what do I need to do to have my heart? That's the source of this, this evil, this anger, this, this fire. How, do, how, how, how is that addressed? Heart work is hard work that requires supernatural intervention. And I'm so grateful for James because actually James touches on this later on in this very chapter that we're looking at. 
Later in chapter 4, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Provides a roadmap for us to address this issue. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. The measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. And if I want to learn to control my tongue, if I want to learn to be able to, to be measured in a way that I'm, they will say that this person's words reflects a change of heart, then I have to first commit to submitting myself to God. That's what James says. Submit to God. See, no heart is ever transformed in isolation. No heart is ever transformed by clear education. Our hearts are transformed in community. Our hearts are transformed first in community with God when we are made right with God through faith in Jesus and we come to a place where we come into community with God. That is the first step. In order to achieve that step, we have to submit. We have to surrender God. We have to open the door of our hearts and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I need help and I need the help that you provide I accept the, the, the terms of the peace agreement that you've established that says through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of his perfect life, that price paid for my imperfect life and the cost that was due for my sin towards you. Surrender to Jesus is the first step. Opening your heart to God in faith. And the thing is, is that the way it works is that when we open our hearts to God, we also understand that the healing of our heart, the way he's made us, is that we have to open ourselves to one another. We have to open ourselves to people who are in a faith community that are facing life in the same direction when it comes to believing in God. That's why we stress so much here at Mount Carmel where we've shifted toward this, this idea of belonging. Belonging means someone knows my name, and is committed to do what they give what they have from God to help me learn to follow God better. Call it discipleship. We call it being in, in fellowship where, where there are a few around us who are pouring their lives into us so that we might learn to follow God as they are following God. And, and, it, and it's reciprocal. We, we have folks that we pour our lives into and we have folks that are pouring our lives into us. Isolation is the killer of the heart. If you think you can be transformed by yourself, by taking a course, by studying and studying and studying, you are mistaken. It doesn't work that way. Open to God in fellowship, in discipleship, open to others. And what happens is when we open to God, we have the reaction of the prophet Isaiah. If you're familiar with the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 6, we have this, this vision where Isaiah sees God in heaven. He's given this vision of God in, in heaven, this vision of God as he is. And one of the things he, first things he says is, woe to me, I'm a sinner. When we, when we open our lives up to God, what happens is we become aware of our failings and our faults. And what's important for us, the, the next step 
in being able to, to have our heart healed. And it's laid out in the Scripture. The next step is for us to, to acknowledge the hurts we have in our, our lives and the hurts that we have given to others by our sin. We need to grieve. James says, wail, cry, mourn. Take responsibility for the pain that, that is in your heart from the sins that you've committed toward God and the sin that you've committed toward others. Take responsibility for, for the fact that you say, look, others have hurt me too, and they have wounded my heart, and my wounded heart being the source of these wounded words that I bark out. Because hurt people always hurt people. Why do we bark at others? Why do we bite at others? Well, typically it's because we are wounded in the heart. Grieve. Grieve. Take the time to grieve. If you surrender, the next step in finding a heart that's healed is to grieve within the community that you have with God and within the community with others. And when you grieve and when you struggle, you have to come to a point where you have to accept God's love, accept His forgiveness. When you apologize for a wrong, how good does it feel when you apologize earnestly to a loved one? How good does it feel when they say, I forgive you? And what they mean by that is they honestly pledge to say, I will not hold what you have done to me against you. How, how good is that? How great is that? How freeing is that? How life-giving is that? How loving is that? Many of us have a hard time accepting God's love. We want to pick up the whip of self-pity and self-whatever, and we beat ourselves up, and we say, yes, I can, God, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. And we won't accept God's forgiveness. And the end result is that that doesn't allow our hearts to heal. It doesn't allow our hearts to be cleaned. Isn't it amazing that the Apostle Paul, writing to Christians in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, listen to what he says to his prayer for, for all church, for believers, for Christians. He says, I pray, and I pray that you, verse 17, being rooted in us and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, my prayer is that every Christian that I have an opportunity to minister to, and that now includes those of you and me, now in this time, at this place, who are reading this scripture in Ephesians, his prayer is that we might be able to fully accept the love of God, how wide, how deep, how powerful and life-transforming it is to accept God's love and accept that He has forgiven us and to then let go of the bitterness and the pain as He does His work to heal. See, in accepting God's love, it releases our hearts to be free, free to serve Him. And in being free to serve Him, we come to the final step that I think is fundamental to, to being able to have our hearts cleansed so that the measure of my commitment to Jesus and the content of my words may be shown. And that is release, let go, forgive. When we accept 
God's love for what He has done, we're able then to release, to let go, to let go of the sins that we've committed toward God and others, and to let them go, those who have offended us, those who have, have hurt us. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's always in Scripture a connection between the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of others. What did Jesus say in teaching the Lord's Prayer in Matthew six twelve? And forgive us our debts as we what? Also forgive the, our debtors. The forgiveness of God being accepted is connected to be the ability to forgive others. Jesus will later on say it this way. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And he's coming at it on the other side of it, right? From the negative. Bottom line is there's a connection by acceptance of God's forgiveness and your ability to forgive. The matter, how, the matter of controlling our tongue is a matter of restoring our hearts to God. How is our hearts restored? We surrender, enter into community with God and others. We accept, we grieve the pain. We own it. We don't bury it. We don't minimalize it. We don't say, oh, that's okay. No, we own it for what it is. We shed the tears we need to shed. We feel the bad that we need to feel the bad as we go through that process. We accept the truth of God's love. We, we don't listen to the whispers of the enemy who accuses us and says, you're, you're bad. You'll never be good enough. I can't believe that you're doing this and da-da-da-da-da, whatever he says. No, we accept the truth of God's love and his forgiveness. And in that, then we release. We become ones who live as forgiven, and we live as forgivers of those who offend us. The measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, and words can harm me, but also words can bring life. And it's words that transmit the message of hope that we have in Jesus that can bring healing to our hearts and can clean our hearts of the things that pollute our words. If you were to close your eyes and now measure what a mature Christian looks like, I want you to add the mature Christian looks like one whose commitment to Christ can be measured by the content of their words. And the reason for that is because Jesus, through His Spirit, has transformed their hearts as they've opened up to God, opened up to the community of faith that God places them in, have grieved their sins, have accepted God's love, and have released the hurts that they have committed and that they have received. The measure of my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would just uh, help us to 
really consider these things, James's words, as we forgive us, forgive me, Lord, for uh, setting myself up according to values and terms, particularly when it comes to my walk with you that are not scriptural. Help me to be courageous and honest and say, you know, the measure, of my, the measure of my faith, my commitment to Jesus is the content of my words. And if I'm serious about seeking out being a Jesus follower, then that issue has to be addressed and looked at. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to really learn through this process of transformation, have this opportunity to have our hearts restored. We're broken and hurt and wounded. Lord, we, we, carry, uh, we carry desires that go contrary to, to your will for our life, that are life-giving. Help us, heal us, transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.